0: Welcome to this issue of essential environmental, I'm uh, Terry Montoya. Just a little bit about me, and so that uh, you know why should you be listening to me. I've got 35 years of experience representing businesses, developers, and landowners in uh, environmental litigation and the environmental com- compliance rather arena. And by that I mean I represent buyers and sellers of commercial property that might be impaired by contaminant or contaminants and work them through that process. I represent businesses that are regulated by either the state California's Regional Water Quality Control Board or their uh, releases of chemicals and uh, represent them in permit violations. I represent businesses operating businesses, former businesses, current landowners, former landowners in federal and state contamination cases. And finally, I also represent parties in federal crimes for polluting waters of the the United States. So in my opinion, I have a broad uh, Broad array of experience, and uh, I've wanted to put on a podcast to kind of simplify this area of the law and walk people through concepts that they may come up with and um, explain them. You know, this podcast, of course, is uh, I'm a partner with Alvarado Smith, and this podcast represents my opinions, the opinions of future guests. It's presented for informational purposes only, it's not intended for you to. Uh, it's not intended to be construed or for you to rely upon what I say as general uh, legal advice or solicitation of any type. But if you have questions and you want to follow up with me, I'll give you my contact information at the end. So, with all of that, today we're going to start with the concept of What is a phase one environmental site assessment? A term that's very common in the um, purchase and sale of commercial properties. And it's very important to know what a phase one consists of and what it doesn't cover. And also, what kind of um, historic uses that a phase one might detect that may warrant an additional investigation known as a. As a phase two. And a phase two, it's called a phase two because it follows a phase one. And of course, there could be a phase three and you can, you can go on as far as you want. But a phase one, as distinguished from a phase two, is a phase one is a, um, a surface evaluation only and a records evaluation related to the property's historic uh, usage. And it should always include Um, You should always pay for a a site walk. You want your environmental consultant to walk the subject property that the buyer's client would like to purchase because uh, there's a lot of information that can be detected from a sidewalk. For instance, discolored soil, sumps in the ground, evidence that would suggest that maybe something has um, leaked there historically. A phase two is a subsurface investigation, so. The concerns that are raised in a phase one trigger a phase two or may trigger a phase two. And we'll talk about what, in my opinion, would trigger a phase two. May trigger a phase two. And uh, so that would be um, putting soil borings, holes down to uh, various uh, various layers of the soil, rather, possibly down to groundwater. And in the case of if it's suspected that soil vapors are um, in the soil and might permeate through the surface of the soil, you know, come up through the surface of the soil as they do, you can put in soil vapor wells to determine what contaminants are in the soil and/or ground water um, at what levels, at what depths, and uh, how much of it is there. So that's the difference between the two. So let's transition back to a phase one. A phase one environmental site assessment, it's designed to identify what's known as recognized environmental concerns. And what that means is it's a historic evaluation of the property's uses as far back as the environmental consultant can go. I've been involved representing buyers on some commercial properties where they have evidence of the historic uses, you, know, going back close to uh, the turn of the century. And they're looking for certain types of uses that would suggest um, the presence, the potential presence, of contaminants on, on the property, certain types of historic usage that would suggest the um, acquisition of chemicals that we now know are contaminants the storage of such on the site, um, the potential release of such on the site. So, that's what recognized environmental concerns uh, means. So, types of uh, historic commercial activities that would suggest the presence of recognized environmental concerns are, you know, for instance, a historic industrial commercial use that involved Um, solvent usage, and waste production, historic um, dry cleaning uses, especially dry cleaning uses prior to the 1990s, because prior to the 1990s, dry cleaning facilities used certain types of chlorinated solvents called, um, they're known by the uh, anachronisms PCE and TCE, perchloral ethylene and trichloral ethylene. We're not going to have too many uh, recitations of long chemical names, but you've probably heard about PCE and TCEs. And they were very effective at removing oil stains uh, and grease. However, they've been listed as um, banned on the federal and state level, banned contaminants because um, they're gases. Molecularly, they're very heavy. They move easily through the soil and down to groundwater. And they are always what's known as off-gassing. They're always admitting their um, contaminating elements, organic elements, up through the soil. Can go through um, cement foundations can go through um, asphalt caps. And what's emitted inside, if it's trapped inside a building, for instance, if it's emitting underneath a a strip center, commercial center, an office building, those that work there aren't going to be smelling anything unusual. They're not going to be tasting anything unusual, but they're going to be exposed to PCE and TCE gases um, during the time that they're in the building. So they're um, contaminants of, of great concern over the last uh, couple decades and going forward as well. Another recognized environmental condition that could come up are gasoline station usage. Um, Gasoline stations have gasoline uh, tanks that are buried under the ground and they have dispenser systems. And, um, you know, there are always um, uh, some leaks involved. The gasoline um, station usage is a concern? It's become less of a concern uh, in California because um, since the early 1980s we've had the underground storage uh, removal fund where um, gasoline station owners that need financial assistance to remove their gasoline uh, tanks and put in, replace them rather, with state of the state of the art fiberglass double walled tanks, with uh, alarm systems that will shut off the tank and the dispenser system if if a leak is detected. Um, but there are still um, buried underground storage tanks that may not have been removed. So it's very important that a phase one environmental site assessment identify potential gasoline station usage, and um, then records can be reviewed to see if the tanks were ever replaced, and then. There are underground storage tanks that um, who knows what they've contained. They vary in size, but um, those could be um, listed on a property. I have a client who has property in in Orange County, and they uh, purchased a property, and it had um, a 30-gallon tank, underground storage tank. We think that the former use was that of a cabinet shop, and it may have held some sort of solvents used as part of uh, staining of wood, as part of uh, cleaning wood, as part of the uh, the staining process, whatever it was. But that was identified and had to be um, removed. Now, we're talking about a phase one environmental site assessment that's performed as part of the buyer's due diligence period. It's part of the sale, so when we talk about due diligence, we're talking about the contractual period of time in the purchase and sale agreement where the prospective purchaser, the buyer, has the right to analyze all aspects of the property to try and identify any uh, environmental risk, um, or you know, if an identi- uh, if an environmental risk is identified, to request uh, a due diligence uh, period. Or phase two investigation, if one if there isn't enough time, or um, if one isn't granted to insist on a phase two investigation period, you know essentially the buyer wants to know that um, they're getting a property that isn't going to expose them to protracted a cleanup period. Now, one of the legal benefits, aside from the contractual benefit of identifying your uh, financial and environmental risks, and identifying as part of the environmental due diligence in the purchase of property, whether you're, you're paying for uh, property at its you know marketable price as opposed to getting a deduction for um, you know impairment due to contamination or anything else. Other than other than those benefits, the phase one investigation has another very important benefit, and that is a legal benefit. So. CERCLA is the federal uh, cleanup statute where the EPA, the Environmental Protection Agency, can go after owners of properties, such as a buyer who buys a property and thinks there's nothing wrong with it and it's later discovered to be contaminated. CERCLA stands for Comprehensive Environmental Response, Contamination and Liability Act. And there are a lot. Of long titles um, in environmental law. So they're all shortened, thank goodness. So it's it's known as uh, CERCLA. That was passed by Congress in the 1980s for the purposes of preventing contamination and release of toxic substances and ensuring the cost of cleanup to be borne by responsible parties and to deter future environmental releases. One of the responsible parties under CERCLA is the owner or former owner of the property. So if you're a buyer of commercial property and you're going through your environmental due diligence period, you want to ensure that you have a a comprehensive phase one environmental site assessment performed so that if later the EPA or in California, its representative, the Department of Toxic Substances Control contacts you and says we believe that there is contaminants on this property and you as the owner are now responsible for cleanup you can go back to your phase 1 environmental site assessment report and say we purchased this property and the environmental site assessment did not detect any recognized environmental condition nor would we known would we have known about the environmental site condition that you're now that you're now bringing up so that would be a defense to circular liability circular liability is brutal because it is um joint and several and it's strict liability cradle to grave liability so what all that means is if you're the owner on title of property that the government now thinks is contaminated and is pursuing you or your corporate entity. Under CERCLA, there may be other parties that are responsible, but the government can say, no, 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 we're focusing on you. You're the current owner. If you want to bring in other people to defray your expenses, you can, but it's joint and several liabilities, so we're just going to go after you. And it's strict liability, which means you can't say, I didn't mean to do anything wrong. I didn't. Uh, I didn't do this. It was done by, by uh, a business in the chain of title. No intent is required under strict liability. You just have to clean it up. So, you can qualify for what's known as the innocent landowner defense to any future circle of liability. If you, as the buyer, had no knowledge of hazardous substances on the property. And you as the buyer, as part of your contractual due diligence, conducted what's known as all appropriate inquiry into the previous ownership and uses of the property. That's quoted from the circle of statute. So to qualify for the innocent purchaser defense, you as the buyer must have performed a phase one environmental site assessment that meets the all appropriate inquiry legal standard as set by the uh, the EPA. So there's a lot writing on the uh, phase one environmental site assessment, and you never go cheap on a phase one environmental site assessment. We'll, we'll talk about my recommendations on what kind of environmental site assessment Firm you should uh, you should retain, but you've got a lot riding on it. You've got a lot riding on it from the standpoint of paying too much for the for the property, uh, for buying property that could then expose you to um, legal liability, legal cleanup liability to a government entity, and leaving you with with no uh, defense. So let's transition now to. What are, the, what are the components of a phase one environmental site assessment? It consists of what I mentioned before, um, a site visit. You have to have someone walk the site, boots on the ground. Um, they got to look for uh, evidence of um, former chemical storage areas. And if you have a good environmental site consultant, they would know, they would get a sense for what that looks like. I have had environmental site assessments where their former usage uh, involved autom- uh, automotive repair facilities, former dealerships. And there you want to make sure your, your environmental your, uh, site assessment folks walk the property looking for evidence of um, where the hydraulic jacks would be to lift vehicles. So they can work underneath the, underneath the car because those uh, hydraulic fluids can can leak over time, and those have um, components that are listed as uh, contaminants. So site visit is very very important. You want your phase one uh, contractor to conduct uh, interviews with current and former site owners and. Have them go back as uh, far as they can to talk to all of the historic uh, owners uh, of the property where there was a commercial use of that might suggest a uh, a uh, recognized environmental condition. They should also conduct interviews with state local uh, agency uh, officials. They should be looking at publicly accessible online databases. In the form of in California, you have the Regional Water Quality Control Board that has a site, geotracker, where you can put in the address. And it will indicate uh, any, uh, any businesses, areas in which are under investigation, including subject property or adjacent sites. And then it becomes, it becomes relevant as to how close the site is, is to yours because it's entirely possible that contamination from an offsite source may have drifted onto your property that you're interested in purchasing. You're not responsible for contaminants that have come your way, but you have a, you would have a cause of action potentially against the party that released the contaminants that are drifting towards yours if that entity or owner or owners are still viable if they're still around and they, and they still have money. So you want to know about um, actions taken by the department of toxic substances control. Their publicly available site is Environ and the regional water quality control board to make sure that nothing is detected on your site or in a vicinity close enough to where it may, it may drift. Phase one Environmental site assessment is structured to identify. We talked about recognized environmental conditions. We talked about prior uses that would suggest potentially the presence of contamination on on the site, or recognized environmental conditions in the immediate vicinity that may suggest that may warrant a conducting phase two investigations to make sure that. No contamination from offsite has drifted on site, but they also, uh, phase one environmental site assessment also looks for historic recognized environmental conditions. I represent um, buyers and sellers of property where uh, the property was the subject of a former cleanup, but it has been cleaned up to the government entity's satisfaction. So in those cases, what you would have, and never lose this, if you're the owner of the property, you would have what's known as a no further action letter from the government agency that supervised the the remediation and called it quits when the remediation goals were met. No further action letter means that the party has cleaned up the property to the satisfaction of, of the governmental entity. A no further action letter is not in Monopoly Get Out of a Jail, Get Out of Jail card free for, few, for the future, because if there are any further or if there are any further releases or if there's any contaminant releases that are different than what was the subject of the prior cleanup, they don't fall under the protection of a no further action letter. So, phase one environmental site assessments look for evidence of historic. Environmental conditions and track down whether cleanup action was done to the regulatory agency's concern and it's, you know, at no further action status. The last category, a phase one environmental site assessment, also is structured to identify what's known as controlled recognized environmental conditions. And what that means is, again, there were um, in property's history, some releases of contamination, contaminants, contamination, that have contaminated the soil and/or groundwater. but there are corrective measures uh, in place such that as long as those corrective measures remain uh, operational, the property's use is not hampered. What do I mean by that? So um, I come across. Clients that are um, cleaning up their property and getting a closure status from the government, but it closure is um, based on putting in a thick rubber membrane over the top of the contaminated soil, and then the building would go on top of the thick rubber membrane to prevent any future release of gases from the soil up through the building foundation and into the building. So the membrane is kind of like a, a thick rubber plunger, if you want to think about it that way. Controlled recognized environmental conditions relate to the property has cleaned up, has been cleaned up to the satisfaction uh, of the government in terms of its use, its Properly zoned use, residential, commercial, mixed use, whatever it happens to be, can go forward, but um, with these guarantees in place. Like, You want to put an apartment complex on the property over that area of soil where soil gases may still be emitting at much less uh, frequencies than before, then you'll have to put a membrane in between the soil and uh, the building. In that case, you might also have to continue to operate for, you know, as many years as the report identifies soil vapor wells to um, suck out um, soil gases from the soil and release them through the air without without any um, harm, human harm. And or you may also have uh, operating groundwater uh, cleanup wells. So. If a phase one environmental site assessment for the property of interest to a buyer identifies a controlled, recognized environmental conditions, it is important to know from the buyer standpoint, it's important to know how long do I have to allow those conditions to remain in place? could be in perpetuity in terms of a membrane. And it's important to know the limitations. And that is, if you do some excavation, on the property in which there's a a membrane and you tear into the membrane, breach the membrane, then those controlled environmental conditions say that you have violated your obligations to the government and the government can start a whole new action against you, the buyer for disturbing the membrane. Or if you turn off soil vapor wells, or you decide I don't want to have to deal with these um, groundwater extraction and cleanup systems on my property over there for whatever reason. And you remove them or turn them off, then you would immediately expose yourself to environmental contamination liability. So there you have it. The goal of a phase one uh, environmental site assessment is um, structured to identify those types of environmental conditions. Now, One of the other aspects of maintaining the all appropriate inquiries standard and the innocent purchaser defense in terms of if you're a buyer and you want to conduct uh, environmental site assessment, you must have a full and complete phase one investigation performed that meets the all appropriate inquiry standard, which we've talked about here, site visits, government reviews, identification of um, all types of environmental conditions but here's the one that always tends to trip up buyers and they, they lose their defense you have to make sure that um, you have phase one that is uh, reviewed again to by the, by your consultant to make sure there's no loose ends there's no additional Uh, former owner that they identified but couldn't make contact with uh, and should have interviewed. Make sure that there's no additional uh, agency databases that um, they should have reviewed. Make sure that they've tied up all the loose ends in the report that they say they're going to tie up within a year of the purchase date. So it's very important to have someone skilled at reading uh, phase one environmental site assessments that can tell the buyer client that, all right, the environmental conditions were identified. They're not really going to be much of an issue. But I see here that the phase one consultant is recommending that we do this additional work and that uh, we consult with a former owner might cost you a little bit more money, but it's important to maintain that it's innocent purchaser defense and make sure that the Phase one environmental site consultant completes all of those uh, conditions within a year of the purchase date. if um, if there's no environmental conditions that are identified in the phase one report, and the phase one report does not say, we would like authorization to do, uh, to look into this area, to consider this. Everything has been nailed down and there's nothing more to do. Then, um, you're fine. Enjoy, um, enjoy the property. But if there are, uh, recognized environmental conditions present at the site, um, then you have, uh, consideration as a buyer as to um, what those conditions are and whether they warrant a phase two environmental site assessment. There are certain, in my opinion, and I represent uh, buyers all the time, including last week when a buyer contacted me and said uh, they were interested in purchasing a property. It was a strip mall. And historically, there was a a dry cleaner in the property. And the seller's consultant did identify PCE and TCE in a soil boring that they dug down to 40 or 50 feet below the surface. But the consultant didn't think it was going to be a problem because um, in the consultant's opinion, the PCE and the TC detected at that depth, it was too deep for it to come back and off-gas through the surface. I would take exception to that. I think that um, in the case of a recognized environmental condition that suggests metals processing, business historically on the chain of title dry cleaner historically on the chain of title any business that's involved in degreasing of metals metals processing of uh, forming of metals they, those metals have to be degreased before they're bent and shaped and heated um, and, you know whatever whatever the process is all of that suggests potentially the historic use of degreasing products, which would suggest PCE and TCE. If you have PCE and TCE, in my opinion, you're going to want to seriously discuss with a consultant a scope of work involving a phase two site assessment in terms of detecting whether there's PCE gases in the shallow layers of the soil. So soil vapor wells can get that information or you know, uh, depending on um, where the groundwater, the level of groundwater is in that area, could the PCE have gone down to to groundwater? Treating, treating uh, soils, or actually a better way to put it is remediating for PCE and TCE in soils can be an exceedingly costly endeavor. It can involve years of working with regulators and many hundreds of thousands of dollars pretty pretty quickly gases can can move easily through the soil as i mentioned before and they can get trapped and, and accumulate in great pools underneath footings foundations and so you know you could be putting a lot of uh, soil vapor wells into the ground you could be putting a lot of borings into the ground to try and kind of pin, pinpoint the pool of gases. And I've had, I've had cases where clients have really had to just scrape a building down and remove the foundation to relieve the major pool of gases that are pressurized under foundations. So it's a very costly and risky process getting involved in a, a property that has PCE and TCE on-site or drifting to, uh, to the site. It's important also for a buyer to recognize that phase ones don't identify and they're not required to identify. So if mold is of issue to you, asbestos, radon, lead, or wetlands are of concern given the property's location, you're gonna to wanna to pay for uh, you know, those additional scopes of work. Again, you you want to know if the property has any warts, and whether you want to buy it, and if you still want to buy it, are you paying too much for it, and you want to qualify for the Circla Innocent Purchaser Landowner Defense. We talked about phase two investigations. Uh, phase two investigations, you know, would be would be very strategic. I get involved in. Interpreting phase one environmental site assessment reports for buyers in terms of are there any concern here, and then making recommendations for whether a phase two investigation should be performed or not. And then I refer uh, buyer clients to phase two environmental geology, environmental remediation firms that are very strategic thinking because you just don't want people. Poking uh, poking holes around uh, your property just because um, that generates um, decent income. There's um, there's an art to it and there's a science to it in terms of where they think the source of the um, we'll just use PCE or TC contamination as an example, where they think the source of um, the gases may be, where they may be drifting to, and um, that would suggest you know, some strategic placement of soil vapor wells to identify hopefully the greatest concentration of PCE gases and its path of movement. And if that could be done as part of the environmental due diligence period, you may be able to have information as to whether you're going to be uh, able to deal with that As part of the transaction and possibly a discount or whether there's so much gases identified beneath the soil that you should find another property to invest your money in. It's a a big area of concern for me because um, I'll give you an example. I have a current client, not identifying names or the properties in the Los Angeles area. They purchased a mixed use commercial development, great price. After purchasing it, a downstream, uh, downstream uh, boring identified extensive levels of PCE gases at shallow depths, and by that I mean, you know, five to ten feet below the surface, coming from my client's property. So, with that detection, there's an obligation to identify the regulatory agency. In this case, it's the Regional Water. Quality Control Board of of soil contamination and you know potentially, then you embark on a whole um, strategic sampling all around the property to identify uh, the extent of the PCE and TCE contamination from a horizontal standpoint and from a vertical depth standpoint. There was um, they got involved in this property because they didn't do any Phase One. Site assessment. Had they done a competent phase one site assessment, they would have, um, historical records would have suggested a um, major, significant, very large dry cleaning business in the building right next to theirs that historically was a, a dry cleaning business that would take in clothes from other dry cleaners and clean them. So you know it wasn't um what you would think of as normal neighborhood dry cleaning business. it was kind of on a on a on a wholesale wholesale basis um, that prop that um, dry cleaning business went out of business in in the seventies and there are significant significant levels of p c and t c gases that were releases released into the soil by that business traveling down to my client's property using sewer pipes old uh, depressions in the ground because gases can easily move uh, up down sideways and has my client involved in what's going to be a very, very lengthy and protracted a cleanup case to include my having to sue the now current owners of the adjacent property because they're on hook for, for cleaning the site. So in my opinion, Anytime there's a history of a business or usage that would suggest chlorinated solvents on site, or um, metal degreasing, or um, metals processing, those are um, those are businesses that it's been it's always been very difficult to run in a very clean, non-release of contaminants matter. So. That's something that uh, that has to be followed up in terms of a phase two. It's it's a question of what type of of phase two. And in those situations, if a seller is not willing to allow a phase two, I tell, I am of the opinion that's that's a red that's a red flag there. I think the seller knows that the, the property might be compromised and is trying to pass it off on someone else. That's a red flag, you know. As an alternative. The buyer, um, if they still want to take on the contamination risk, you know they may want to cancel the contract to renegotiate the price, some um, additional due diligence terms terms to, to uh, request a strategic phase two investigation so they know what their risk is going to be. And again, if the buyer's not interested in that, you may want to consider walking from that property and finding, finding something else. You know, petroleum contaminants in the terms of former gas station usage, that's also of, uh, of concern. If, uh, if there was a gasoline station off on site and there isn't evidence the tanks were, were removed, um, you may want to consider a phase two investigation involving the use of uh, surface radar to see if it detects an underground storage tank beneath the surface. Or whether you know the radar does not detect a storage tank petroleum hydrocarbons are if you think of oil they're thick and gooey they uh, they congeal together they um they can move uh, around in in groundwater um, but they don't move um, that readily through the soil so it would be possible I've had cases where some petroleum hydrocarbon was detected uh, in the soil, going back, you know, a, a couple decades or so. But it's so deep beneath the surface of the ground that a regulatory agency would would allow it to remain in place. It's important to note that in 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 my world, soil and groundwater contamination. I can't think of an instance where I've dealt with a property where all of the contamination was removed where the property, in other words, was rendered a clean. You know, there's, there's always some contamination that's allowed to remain. Um, you just have to conduct, you have a consultant conduct an additional study to make sure that what is left does not pose human health safety risks that are, you know, out of order in terms of, of, of magnitude. So it's not unusual to find some contamination in the ground. And depending on the type of contamination, like um, maybe some levels of metal contamination or petroleum uh, contamination, contamination that's rather heavy and stable and kind of stays there and it's deep enough, maybe able to get by with just uh, leaving it in place or potentially drilling a few holes and, and putting in some biological products that will eat the contamination. So, I like to end with kind of a call to action there. And the call of action is, as we've discussed, it's critically important uh, for a buyer of commercial property to get a phase one environmental site assessment, do not go cheap on it, and pay for all the necessary components, follow up with the contractor, and make sure that no loose ends are are allowed to, uh, to remain. And my call to action uh, there is there are are firms, very competent firms, that perform phase two site assessments. They know what they're looking for. They know what levels of contamination are acceptable. They know what, what types of contaminants are going to be doing. They understand the concept of contaminants moving through soil. Off-gassing; those are the kinds of firms. If you suspect that you're interested in a property that that had um, a, a dry cleaner or sort of metals processing history, I would uh, recommend that you don't go with uh, firms that strictly provide Phase One environmental site assessments. And you know, if you look at twenty of their reports or forty of their reports, they um have they tend to have the standard uh, language in in many sections, you want to go with someone who's going to know what the contamination looks like, evidence of surface contamination, evidence of subsurface contamination when they're walking on a site, and they're going to know how to quantify your risks um, with a strategic phase two uh, assessment uh, if need be. Phase one environmental site assessment from those types of firms is probably going to be more expensive than firms that just perform nothing but phase one site assessments. But uh, you don't want to penny pinch and get involved in a subsequent cleanup action. Don't want to penny pinch uh, at the expense of the innocent uh, purchaser's defense. If recognized environmental conditions are identified, I help. Uh, buyers that are interested in proceeding with the sale negotiate and environmental indemnifications, hold harmless agreements where the seller holds the buyer harmless or pre existing liabilities. That may involve the seller taking responsibility with a regulatory agency for any future cleanup. That may also, that may involve quantifying what a cleanup would look like with an environmental consultant and coming up with a holdback amount. That the buyer puts in, in escrow for the buyer to use for um, for any cleanup. Lots of different ways it can be uh, it can be fashioned, but the buyer should seek protection if um, from the seller and favorable indemnification language just on environmental grounds alone. If recognized environmental conditions are identified and it's still a property uh, of interest, there's also. Um, I also get involved in these kinds of uh, areas to see if there's insurance, environmental insurance that could provide coverage for the recognized environmental uh, conditions, pollution liability coverage, cleanup, cost cap coverage, which means you're buying a policy where an insurance company agrees to clean up to a certain dollar amount. They could provide the the buyer some uh, risk mitigation. So thank you for listening. I hope you found this useful. For phase one site assessments are, are, are critical for a buyer and they have to be done uh, correctly. And um, I assist buyers all the times uh, in these matters on the issues that, uh, that we discussed. Our next podcast is going to discuss the issue of if you know the property is contaminated and you want to purchase it, how do you maintain the other defense to CERCLA, the bona fide prospective purchaser defense to any future liability? Because you can buy a contaminated property, what's known commonly as a brownfield, and you can get a defense to, to future environmental uh, liability, but there's some tricky aspects to it, and we'll talk about that. If you have any questions, you can reach me via email at T. Montoya Alvarado Smith or via my phone, 714 852 6862. Thank you for listening.